to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, read and discuss young adult fiction. And this one, I believe, is from the long ago, because I think that Aoife may have actually read it when she herself was a teen, in her original teenness. You are right. This one is from 2005. And, uh, not to go off tangent immediately, because this isn't even the tangent I initially planned, but I can see a stack of Funko Pops about as tall as a person behind you um, while we're recording. Those... Yes, we do have a lot of Funko Pops. Um, that particular pile is um, is three by three, but then it has two giant Pops on top of it. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's that that pile is actually like the pile of Funko Pops that couldn't be properly displayed um, on a shelving unit. Like, we actually put up a shelf entirely to put Funko Pops on us, and now that shelf is full. I feel like the Funko Pops are going to be the beanie babies of this era because people are going to be like, wow, they're rare and collectible. They're going to be worth so much money, but they're not. I agree with you, but we do have all but like three of every Simpsons one that was ever made. And full collections are always worth something. That's not true. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I have a full collection of all the journals I've kept in my life and no one's offered me any money for them yet. Yet. You're damn right. Um, This is a fun episode for me because, as you said, yes, this is a book I read as a teenager because I recently gained access to my grandmother's library where I donated most of the books I read as a teenager because my granny's a book hoarder and her house is a nice central place where all of my little cousins can benefit it from them. I got The Cry of the Ice Mark. I got some Artemis Fowls. Mm. I got some Percy Jacksons. So we might have a little bit of an Aoife throwback session for a little while. We should definitely do an episode where both of us read Artemis Fowl because I'm actually reading Artemis Fowl this week or this, yeah, this week for my, um, for my book club with the, with the kids in the library. And I have a lot of feelings and we should both read it and just both chat about it because it's a great book and everyone should be reading it. Want to talk about the book? Please tell me about the book. I'm excited to know about this book because you don't often be like, this is a book that I read in my youth that I am, dang, we got to come back to. So for context to the listener, I texted Kira last night at about 7.30 saying, you know, I'm really considering going to bed for eight tonight. Then at a little bit past 12, I said, I texted Kira. I know I said at eight that I would go to bed soon, but I started skimming through Cry of the Ice Mark in preparation for the pod. And I'm in dire risk of staying up all night reading it. And then a bit past three, <laughs> I texted Kira saying, I just skimmed it. Don't worry. I'm still on to record for 10. <laughs> And here we are at 10 a.m. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, The Cry of the Ice Mark was published in 2005. It is by the British author Stuart Hill, who is tricky. It is hard to find information about him online. This book was published in 2005 by the British author Stuart Hill. He is of mixed English, Irish, Roma and Jewish heritage. This was his first book. It won the Waterstones Children's Book Prize mm-hmm. in 2005, which is the first year it was offered. And it also won the Highlands Children's Book Award. Stuart Hill was born and still lives in Leicester. He left school at 16 without any formal qualifications. And he worked in a factory for a little over six years and in an interview I found with him online he was talking about how the reason he started writing mm-hmm. is because he was working in this factory and he hated it so much so he had this dream that he was going to write a best-selling book and he was going to leave the factory and never have to go there again 
didn't happen exactly like that. After about six years, he returned to education, got his formal qualifications from school, gained teaching qualifications. He traveled teaching for a while. Then he worked as a bookseller for about 10 years. So many authors are booksellers. It's it's beautiful and amazing. They just, they're like, yep. I write and I need access to touch the books and smell them while I dream of mm. writing my own. So Hill is definitely one of those nice stories of someone who didn't, you know, didn't have that early success, I guess. People always are worried these days, particularly young people, if they're not extremely successful early on in life, they won't achieve anything. Stuart Hill wasn't very happy working in this factory, but he was able to get out of it and do things that he found more fulfilling. And he was born in 1958 and he didn't publish until 2005 which was this book. So I'm not going to do the quick maths, but I think he was nearly 50 years old before he published his first book. Our protagonist is called Theron, and she is based on Hill's younger sister who died of cancer when they were teenagers. So I'm going to enthuse a lot about the realistic teenagers Mm -hmm. in this book. So it's kind of nice and poignant and bittersweet that it's, a nice fantasy story for Hill to write for his sister where she gets to spoilers, but be a great warrior queen of a Viking like nation. So that's, that's kind of nice. You might appreciate that the one interview I could find with him where he also talked about working in the factory. He said one, the most difficult part about writing is stopping the cat from getting on the keyboard. This is very true. And two, that libraries are extremely important, that as someone who left school with no formal qualifications, the library was a great place for him to access information and inspire him to continue when time was right. Uh, Stuart Hill is my favourite author as of right now. Any author that comes out and is like, hey, you know what's great? Libraries. Yeah. Like you. I love you. And you know how many authors do it? Almost all of them. (laughs) I'm going to give you a rough overview of some of the plot of this book because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to talk to you about it because um, being fantasy, there's a lot of cool world building. There's a lot of cool people and it all sort of co-mingles. But I'm going to start by giving you a description of the world and I think we'll kind of flow from there. Perfect. So the titular Ice Mark is a sort of fantasy Viking Danish society. It is bordered to the south by the Polypontian Empire. That means many bridges and it is the fantasy Roman Empire, essentially. Cool, cool, cool. It is bordered to the north by the land of the ghosts. Is that death? It's the vampire king and queen who live in their blood palace nice and all of the supernatural creatures and their other borders are mountain and sea and to the sea there's the zephyrs and the sersars who they've been at war with periodically forever the other important political factions are the kings of the wood who are the holly and oak kings from fairy tales uh we've got king grishmak blood drinker who's king of the werewolves. And there is, very interestingly, the Hypolitan province, who is a province mm-hmm. within the Ice Mark, which is semi-independent and has a very different culture from the rest of the Ice Mark, which Hill sort of based on the Amazons, who were fictional in and of themselves, but they're quasi-Grecian and they're matriarchal. Okay. Our protagonist... Theron Freer, strong in the arm, Lindenshield, is the heir to the throne of the Ice Mark. Her dad, Red Rot, Bear of the North, strong in the arm, Lindenshield, like drinker of blood, son of Thor. He is the longest ruling monarch of the last like 15 monarchs of the Ice Mark because he's ruled for 20 years, something like only two of their last 
10 leaders died in their beds and most of those were from war wounds. It's like a tough life. Mm -hmm. Theron is just about to turn 14 when we open the book and she is in the forests near the city and she's hunting and she comes across a werewolf. The werewolves are like quasi-humanoid wolf people. They're not people who transform back and forth. But her father has his entire life and for many generations before been at war with the werewolves, like with almost all of the supernatural creatures who live to the north. Why would but you this one... why would you not be at war with the supernatural creatures? I mean that that they, they don't have any advantages over you at all and they're not just living peacefully in their town are are like are they living peacefully and just being like we're supernatural creatures and then all the humans are coming in being like no we hate that or are is there like a back and forth what i found really interesting about the wolf folk yeah which like when i found out that Hill has Roma and Jewish ancestry. It's kind of like, oh, okay, I see. Is that they don't really respect borders and boundaries the same way as everyone else does. Like they don't mm. live in the same kind of settlements. They live in mountains. They live in the land of the ghosts under the rule of the vampire kingdom. And they also live in the ice mark, which is technically run by Red Rot. But they don't respect either of those rulers. They have their own king and they've got their own separate society. And yeah, they raid cattle and stuff for food. And I'm kind of like, so they just have a different culture. <laughs> but okay. um, okay. But none of this was known by Theron. Like she thought her her culture thought that the wolf people were not intelligent so Mm -hmm. her she was out hunting with some of her um her soldiers and they came across this wolf man and he spooked and scared off the horses of the other people and she fought him one-on-one she's knocked from her horse then she has him at her mercy then he turns on her and she just says make sure all the wounds are in the front i don't want anyone saying i died running away nice very brave of her very cool She's 13. He starts laughing real hard. Um, And he takes a step back and he puts her, he sticks her sword into the ground and then he does a really elegant bow and he just ambles away. He's like, yo, I respect you. Goodbye. Yeah. (laughs) And this kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book where Theron is having to seek allies with the historical enemies of her people because the enormous force of this empire is coming for them and like these guys are also really emphasized the the polyponchons of being really logistical really sciencey to the extent that like they will destroy like the vampires. They will destroy the people of the woods just because they don't like the look of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one of Theron's main bargaining chips in terms of securing these allyships. But she's also having to like rediscover and unlearn like centuries of prejudice towards these creatures yeah but at the same time you've got like the vampire king and queen who genuinely are fucking terrible so it's fun it's fun it's fun sometimes sometimes you can be being racist but the people who are like running that show can also be bad there's yeah multifaceted world building you said that the world building in this and it sounds like listening to you talk about it already it does sound fun is it well sculptured because it's not that long a book it's only about 400 pages 509 pages the world building is extremely well sculpted i was i was kind of 
info dumping at my housemate about this as I made coffee getting ready to record. But you can really feel the love that Hill has for history Mm because it's like a fantasy book. But he still has like little details. For example, the Great Hall of the castle Theron lives in doesn't have a fireplace against a wall. It has a central fire hearth where the logs are burnt and there's no chimney. The smoke just oozes out through the ceiling, Mm -hmm. which is accurate to the society he's basing the ice mark on, even though it would be really unfamiliar to a lot of readers. Yeah, that Um, makes sense. The world building is really impeccable. You've got like the Hippolytan province, which I said, you know, is is matriarchal and Mm -hmm. they are refugees from a long ago war who came to settle in the ice mark. And it ends up getting pulled together that they were actually one of the first provinces who were conquered by the Polypontian Empire, mm-hmm. like hundreds of years ago. And they're quasi-Grecian, like I said, and they settle in the north. And you can really see how like their culture is slightly different from the Ice Marks culture. And they're like independent, but also part of the same state. I guess, okay, wait. Is the... Is the world building done nice and... I, th- I feel like it probably is. Nice and subtly? Or is there just like info dumps as you go? It's done nice or is and it a subtly. Mix? It's extremely well woven through. Mm-hmm. The essential plot of the book is... One, Theron meets Grishmak and Oskan, who are the werewolf king and the witch's son. And then two, as winter is coming, the empire decide they are gonna do like one first invasion right before winter so they can Mm -hmm. secure their place in the south of the country before winter theron's king her dad red rot goes with his elite army and manages to completely destroy that first invading army but completely destroying his own force at the same time mutually assured destruction the Polynesians have another army to come. Towards the end of the book, it's like 500,000 Polypontian troops against 6,000 of Theron and her allies. Oh, good fun. You know, Red Rot dies defending, defeats this one army, and then the country's snowed in for winter, and you get several months of diplomacy and politics and Theron scrambling around to try get allies before, like... A, a big fight happens and it's all introduced very fluently because you've got stuff that Theron knows mm-hmm. and you've got stuff that Theron has to learn she's got advisors as well she has Maguar Totus who's someone from like the fantasy Mediterranean there's a place called the southern continent which is south of the fantasy Roman Empire so I'm not sure if it's meant to be like sort of the north coast of Africa or like the south coast of Europe. Um, but he's from there and he talks a lot about how much he misses this place where the rains were well-mannered enough to only come at certain times of year and the only ice you could see was melting gently in the cooling drinks. <laughs> so you get his perspective as an outsider yeah, to get some of your info. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I like I like when when the world building is is more subtle. It just is more pleasing to read, but sometimes sometimes especially in like the first of a fantasy series, you'll get like these massive info dumps where they're like, "I live in a castle and this is the castle and this is the land around us." And I'm like, "Oh my god, I get it. You live in a castle. <laughs> Your world is not mine." I think a really good example I can bring in for this is early in the book, Yuletide is approaching. Mm -hmm. And so the introduction to that chapter is just Theron saying, it's so exciting to see Yuletide approaching. Soon all of the barons and baronesses will be here for like the diplomatic feast. Uh, Oh, look, people are dragging in this decoration Mm -hmm. and this great log. And then she ducks in to talk to her dad. And he's like, how are you feeling about the fact that you're going to be having a coming of age ceremony this year? And she's like, you know, it's good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, 
And he's like, what gifts do you want? And she's like, you know, I want a shield and a sword, obviously. <laughs> but then they like sit down and enjoy like a, a story that one of his chamberlains read to her. And she starts reflecting on like what Yuletide's like and what it might be like this year and how excited she is for it. So you get really good subtle world building in that way. Yeah. I like that. Big fan. Okay. Yeah. And really, I want to just talk to you about the characters. Tell me about the characters. I, I love listening to the characters. Also, I'm enjoying that this girl's name is Strong Arm. Strong in the arm, yeah. Strong in the arm. That's great. On her, at her coming of age ceremony, she's also given Wildcat of the North as her fighting epitaph. Amazing. Just... Theron is a very vivid character. This is another thing I was talking to my housemate about because they were complaining about Game of Thrones and how the teenagers in that were just mini adults. Mm -hmm. Whereas Theron is so 14. Like, she's good at battles. She's got a great tactical mind. She's a pretty good ruler when it comes to that. But there are several points in the book where she's like left alone in a room with a boy and turns into like a stuttering, blushing mess. I mean, is that boy a vampire though? No, that boy okay. is Oskin Witch's son. Oh, that's even cooler. Who is 15 years old. He lives in the forest and Theron comes across him because one time she is out hunting. She goes out hunting a lot and one of her soldiers gets injured. So this guy in a cloak just appears and looks really ominous. And he's like, if you come with me, I can offer healing. And everyone's really worried. And then he throws back the hood of his coat. And everyone's like, oh, he's like 15. He's a baby. Oh, my goodness. The baby has come out of the forest to rescue her. Yeah. But Oskin's great. He just grew up in this cave in the forest with his mother, who was like a legendary white witch. And... No one really knows who his father is. At one point, Theron comes home to her dad and is like, so, Oskin, you know, you, you knew White Annis, right? And her dad's like, yes, she was incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful. And she's like, does anyone know who Oskin's dad is? And you get some of Red Rot's inner monologue of being like, I can't tell my daughter that probably even White Annis doesn't know who Oskin's dad is. But <laughs> I'm just going to say it's Anna's kept her secrets. You know, there are lots of rumors about his dad being like a forest spirit or some kind of elder god. But he was probably just a traveler who was um, passing through, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. My dad could be a god, but he could also have just, you know, one night stand random. That gives you a complex, I think, as a child, honestly. Like, I'm, no spoilers, but it's probably the Elder God thing, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> like, I mean, um, yeah. Given, given the universe and that he just, like, appears to heal injured people, that yes, I would assume that it is probably the God thing. But I enjoy the mystery, mystique of it all. So, um, like I said, Oskin heals Theron's, like stable guy who got hit by a spear um gets in a big fight with her surgeon who wants to bleed this guy and Theron keeps making excuses to visit him and has a lot of conflict about how when she's feeling awkward she wants to like take refuge in like a royal persona so there's rules to follow but Oskin has like no sense of diplomacy or anything like she will hold out her hand so that he'll kiss it or something and he'll just kind of like stare at her. Then <laughs> <laughs> their their um their interactions are really good because Theron is a warrior girl who hates her lessons and hates reading and writing and doesn't understand this herbs and healing stuff and Oskin was born in a cave and lived in a cave and would like to continue living in a cave but has been drawn into being a state advisor oh my gosh yeah and their their first interactions have a lot of things like um Theron will say if witches are so great at healing then 
why are there why is there still so much disease and Oscan will be like if your soldiers are so good at fighting why are there still wars you have to heal all the disease as they come <laughs> you can't just do blanket heal disease they they and heal like, they heal the issues as they arise they're not vaccinating for the future issues yeah and Oscan also has no idea what isn't isn't magic <laughs> because he was raised in a cave by a witch so they'll be like do you have magic powers and he's like i mean i i can understand the animals i can i can read the weather i can see the future a little bit but can't everyone do that oh my goodness sweet summer child no and theron <laughs> says can theron says can you call down lightning and he says that seems like a stupid idea you'd probably get hit <laughs> I mean that's accurate I'm, I'm glad that at least one of them has a brain cell honestly yeah yeah so their interactions are great initially like I said Red Rot has to go and Red Rot is a wonderful character um, he's like this great warlord like traditional image of a viking he's like enormous he has a red beard and like he constantly wears fluffy slippers because they're softer on his bunions than the like boots that he's meant to wear and he's got a tiny kitten called Primplepus, who like he carries with him at all times like including royal banquets he'll just like hold the kitten up in his sleeve and like feed her a tiny bit of meat <laughs> Oh my god. Oh and my god. Oh great. my god. I love this person. I love them with mm -hmm. my whole heart. Uh, you've no idea. Like, honestly, you could say that they are an axe murderer, but the fact that they hold a kitten in their sleeve, I'm so broody for a pet right now. Um, dear listener, I am so broody for something to give my love to, and I want to give my love to this man with a cat in his sleeve. Technically speaking, he is an axe murderer, given he's, like, the king of a warrior nation who we see killing someone in an army, to be fair, with an axe at one point. Oh my god. I am... Okay, I have never read this book. <laughs> but I have it down. You talk about it. <laughs> it's so good. I love it so much. Um, yeah, the, the plot isn't super complex after that it is you know in this beautiful horrible ultimate sacrifice red rot defeats the invading army just before the winter paths are frozen leaving theron to like evacuate the main city rebuild alliances to the north her mother by the way was one of the hypolitians so her aunt is like the matriarchal ruler of them and she has to like rebuild those connections and smooth over conflicts which are caused by the Hypolitians not wanting men in like the war room and stuff and mm -hmm. Theron's like 50% of my generals are men we will have them in the room <laughs> um when I was reading uh Queen of Coin and Whispers there was a whole bit where there's another society that was matriarchal and like the kingdom didn't have like a bad relationship with them before this. But now that they had a queen instead of a king, they were like, yeah, no, we'll do like way more trade with you. Like we're totally now we understand what's happening over there. Yeah. You got a queen, a, a woman is trust in charge you. now. Yeah, obviously. Um, is it kind of similar where they were like. We were on okay terms, but now you got a late. I know that the lady is 14, but this, we understand what's happening now. That doesn't seem to be a major factor, but definitely mm -hmm. there's, like, her aunt in particular is very, like, I guess the term is misandristic. Like, <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't understand why you would want men in the room when the, so the aunt is the Basileia of Hippolytan mm -hmm. and her consort is Olamemnon. And 
when Theron's first introduced to them, they do like the whole formal, like I am, you know, Theron Fairstrong of the Arm Lynn Shield of Wildcat of the North, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, it's nice to meet you, Auntie. And she's like, it's lovely to meet you, my dear niece. And then she introduces her consort and Theron's like, so this will be my uncle, Ollie. And the aunt is like, I suppose. I don't know if a, a man can be an uncle to a queen but i guess i mean yeah if i am your aunt he would be your uncle but that is just ooh feels he's my wrong. consort what he he's not a person with his own relationship to you so i i keep getting bogged down in details cuz it is just such a cool story but essentially the plot is Theron continues to go further north with a diminishing number of allies until it's just her and Oskin and a bunch of werewolves traveling to the very hub of the world to seek an alliance with. Controversial, my lowlight of the book, giant talking snow leopards. That, who live at the that North is Pole. your lowlights? Yeah. Giant talking snow leopards? I want to be friends with the giant talking snow leopards. They're giant talking snow leopards. Yeah, they're fine. If it had been giant talking polar bears. Yeah, I'd have liked that better. But still, I would be like, you guys don't have the population. You don't have the ecology to support the population to have the number of available troops that you are sending south to this battle. Also, it seems really stupid that Theron's family don't know about these until they travel through the land of the ghosts, like with the werewolf allies. Like, I understand they're geographically isolated, but shouldn't you know about them? As I'm saying that, I'm like, no, if they didn't even know the werewolves could talk, why would they know about the snow leopards at the hub of the world? But yeah, they're just silly. <laughs> They're just kind of okay, silly. Okay, fair enough. In a book in which, in which there are werewolves and vampires, the snow leopards are silly. Well, that's the thing is that like the werewolves and vampires and the ghosts, like the and the kings of the wood, these are all based on familiar folklore and legends. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't, I don't know, I'm not an expert in like Danish mythology. I'm fairly sure there isn't a legend of snow leopards at the hub of the world. Okay, well, sometimes you got to add in your own legend. Sometimes you got to invent your own mythology. Yeah. You're so upset about this. I, don't, I just don't like them. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. um, over the winter, Theron just continues going further and further north, collecting allies. Then she comes back down with her war force and she fights the invading armies at, yeah they eventually win <laughs> but there's snow leopards and I hate it <laughs> I could go on so much about different elements of this what do you want to know more about and is it going to be the snow leopards no because you clearly don't want to talk about the snow leopards I want to know I want to know the primary conflict like, other than the fact that, like, there is a war coming. That's the primary conflict. Does that make sense? The primary conflict is the invasion of the Polypontian Empire. So the extra level of the Polypontian War is the war between, like, strict logic, science, and mm -hmm. sort of folk knowledge and folk healing and the fact that werewolves literally exist and magic yeah. literally exists. Does does uh, Theron, like, discovering that werewolves are full people, does that, like, is it just her that has this discovery or does she, like, spread it throughout the kingdom? Do we meet the kingdom? We meet mostly the army there mm -hmm. is a good bit where we get the funeral for red rot 
So he is killed in the invasion of the South, and then the werewolf allies bring that bring his body north to the province of the Hypolitian, where they're keep they're staying over the winter, and we get like sort of the point of view of a resident just sort of generally like how do the people feel about this and they're like red rot was a good king he didn't increase the taxes he didn't have any massive addictions or weaknesses that meant that our country suffered he defended our borders he was fair and he died doing his job so right now we are just looking to see what the new monarch will be like. What will she react like? How will she do her job to defend us? So there's a That's very, fair. like, they're not emotional about it. They're like, my job is to put shoes onto horses. His job is to defend the mountain passes from invading armies. He died mm-hmm. doing his job. I could die doing my job. This is how it is. But the, like, Theron officially names Grishmak, king of the wolf people, like, her ally and friend, like, very publicly at a Yule celebration. And so in that way, you see people reacting. You get to see a lord who's like, this werewolf has arrived from the south and is saying... You know, there's 20,000 infantry, 30,000 cavalry and 200 cannons coming in. We can't possibly trust those numbers. Can these people even count? And Theron gets like really mad at him. And in the middle of the conversation where she's yelling at him, a human messenger comes in and gives exactly the same information. (laughs) Oh... We see some of that, but mostly I think the focus is the soldiers certainly all get on together. Mm-hmm. Like the giant leopard people hang out with the human soldiers and they all drink wine and sing songs together because people are people and they will bond through conflict. But there's mostly a focus on the characters and you, you feel the weight that Theron has as, like, ruler and, like, the pressure she feels to look after her people. But you don't see any people who aren't, like, palace staff or her advisors or her soldiers because that's where she's spending her time. That makes sense, yes. Do you remember right at the start of Oskin and Theron meeting... When Theron was like, can you draw down lightning? Yes. And Oskin's like, oh, that does that come dumb. back? Does that come back? Does yeah. she, does she, okay, tell me about the lightning coming to earth. Oh my God, no. Okay, yeah. go for it. Tell me. So there's, they're at war. They're fighting the Polyponchians. Theron is leading an attack across the battle plane and the polyponchians start doing like a scissor maneuver to cut her off from Mm -hmm. the main group. And Oskin is up at the top of the battlements of the city. So he can see this happening before anyone on the field can. And he's screaming and he runs as fast as he can down to the field, even though he has no battle training at all. He has magic though. He runs down into this field full of soldiers And no one wants to let him through, but he pushes through. And Theron's already cut off from her soldiers and she's surrounded by the enemy and she's going to get killed. And he remembers that earlier in the book, she asked, are you able to call down lightning? And he says, that seems stupid. Wouldn't you get hit? And so he like reaches out his consciousness into the weather systems. And there's a great line about the sky rolling above like muscled water as the power builds. And then he draws down lightning into him and is hit by lightning and throws it out through his hands. Oh, my God. Felling hundreds of enemy soldiers and clearing an opening 
to bring Theron back to the city and he is left as a charred corpse when his hands are burnt down to stumps and his face is turned into a mask of charcoal with no features left on it. You don't look very happy. I'm just wondering if this charred boy, smelly barbecue boy, um, barbecue boy, <laughs> um, how is he able to get healed? It or is he, he is he dead now? He's very magic. So Theron and Tharaman Thar, the leader of the Snow Leopards, rush back to the city with him and bring him to the healing place where all the witches are and like Wenlock Witch Mother or whatever her name is is like don't worry there's a place prepared so Theron loses her shit and is like did you know this was going to happen and the Witch Mother is like yes and so did Oskin we all know these things are going to happen (laughs) and she brings him down to the deepest cellar and then she brings him down to a side staircase even lower than that into a little cave of mineral rich mud deep under the city and she leaves him there on a like rope stretcher and he's just deep deep in the ground and there's this amazing imagery of like the smell of the mud and he like loses consciousness but then like comes back and is just in so much pain that he doesn't feel like he should be able to experience pain anymore but he sits up and you got the snap of charred flesh as bits of him are flaking off and he screams out for healing from like the mother goddess of what or whatever and he gets healed but how we see this is the tutor that Theron had who's just Mm -hmm. like this polite little guy from like fantasy Greece or fantasy Morocco um, is like, they're going to kill this guy. They've put him in a muddy cave at the bottom of the earth and they're not going to, they're not going to be able to heal him. Like he has great power, but he's dead. This is just a grave. This is terrible. And he sneaks down to see it. And Oskin is lying on this rope stretcher. And his wounds have oozed mucus and pus in long tendrils that have grown down to the earth. And through those tendrils, minerals are coming back up and healing Mm. is coming up. And yeah, it's like, oh, it's so grotesque and cool. And so Maguire, the tutor, comes in and checks on him every day for like two weeks, but doesn't tell anyone because he's worried that the miracle will stop working. And we get like these these uh, mucousy tendrils become tubes of flesh that are then pulsing as they bring healing like materials and stuff back up into Oskin's body, like umbilical cords and his skin is regrowing and his hands are regrowing. At some point he's like, you can see his bones through pure translucent Mm -hmm. skin. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And he's just like, yeah, these tubes of flesh are bringing him mud healing deep in this mineral cave. And, uh, he also gets taller. <laughs> of course he gets taller. Yeah, because, I mean, he's 15 and he called out to the mother goddess for healing. So. Well, he was due. He was probably due. Uh... <laughs> he was probably due a spurt anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah. So so the great climax of the book then is just um, all of the allies that Theron was rallying are actually pretty slow to come, like the Hypolitans and the Snow Leopards, and some of the werewolves are helping her right away. But, you know, the king of the werewolves is saying, it's just really hard to gather up my people. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're very slow to gather, but once we gather, like, we're all yours. We'll be able to help you for years. And, you know, the vampire kingdom just are bastards, and they don't want to help. But, you know, Oskin... Theron thinks dies. Um, everyone's losing hope that 
these allies will come. And then mm-hmm. Oskin wakes up in the cave. Okay. First thing he knows is they're here. And the second thing he knows is, and he like runs up to the top of the battlements and starts ringing bells and yells out to Theron that like the allies are coming and also the polypontians are about to attack even though it's the middle of night. Mm, and there's this great sneaky. final battle with like the werewolves and the vampires, the vampires descending from the sky as bats to like kill all these Roman soldiers and, you know, drink their blood right there on the battlefield. And then the Romans are trying to retreat, but then the forest itself starts turning into soldiers, which are tearing them to pieces. Oh, and it's so good. And then, you know, the very end of the book, um, the generals of the Polypontians have all run away and Theron and her various allies are in the Polypontian war room discussing what they're going to do next. And Oskin sits beside her, holding her hand under the table. And that's it. That's, that's how it ends. I love this. I might actually, yeah. I might investigate reading this book and series myself. Did you read the later books? I did. I really liked the second book and not so much the third or fourth. Okay. In the second book, Oskin and Theron's son, who had polio as a child and therefore has a very badly damaged leg, is he's very unhappy because he can't be a soldier in the same way as his siblings can. But mm-hmm. he travels to the far south to the people of the desert, which is like a fantasy Muslim country during the fantasy Islamic golden age. And he like finds allies there and I think finds a way of fighting, which he can do even with his damaged leg. He's able to be a good fighter and he has a very close relationship with a prince of the desert people as well, which is quite nice, but not, you know, canonically gay. Um, But the, the third and fourth one has... It actually brings back up Oskin's heritage because mm-hmm. one of Theron and Oskin's children go dark and okay. uh, does a real like embracing the evil great power and then that she becomes the primary enemy and I don't like those as much. That makes but sense. again, I haven't read them in a long, long while. Whereas the second one's quite similar to this, where it's nice, it's self-contained, and it's just about like one person in this very richly painted world. What I really remember from the second one, that this kid has the same coloration as Theron. So he's mm-hmm. got red hair and pale, pale skin. And he just gets sunburned so much in the desert. Yes. His friend just keeps being like, put this fucking cream I gave you on it. And this guy's like, but it's yogurt. Why would I put yogurt on my skin? Because your skin is a red fire beast. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do like that. uh, You can still get sunburns in fantasy. Yeah. I got uh, not quite burnt, but definitely like heated on St. Patrick's Day sitting on my balcony and I'm raging about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's that's March, Kira. (laughs) It's March. It was a sunny day in March. Mm. So highlights, sidelights. Okay, so we say highlight, low light and weird little sidelight. And sometimes it's hard to pinpoint things like sidelights. But it is what sticks with you from the book. So for me, it's really that whole bit towards the end where Oskin calls down lightning, is a charred corpse, and gets this (laughs) magical healing. That description of like the tubes of flesh bringing him nourishment. Because I read that as a kid and was like, that's cool as hell. And even now rereading it I was like this was just as cool as I remembered it being my low light like I said I just don't like the talking leopards they're a bit campy and they feel out of place Mm -hmm. to me and also 
there is a lot of fight scenes in this. Yeah. A lot of very like logistical and detailed fight scenes about like, you know, we are going to put the artillery here. We are going to send out the infantry in this number. Like we have this many longbows and we have this many spears and you know, that kind of stuff doesn't really compel me. Okay. Even fair. with it, it, I followed it way closer than I would similarly, like a similar amount of battle scenes in a less well-written book. And my highlight is pretty much all of it. Um, the richness of the world building where you've got these very easy to understand characters who are so three-dimensional and realistic. Um, the magic system, the kingdoms, the politics, the culture, uh, things like the Hypolitians and the way that their culture is different from that of the ice mark and like the where people and how their culture works and how their history of war is told is really interesting and even we do get some scenes from the point of view of the invading army mm -hmm. and um like i didn't even mention scipio bellorum who is the like main tactician of the invading polypontians but he even is like a very interesting character he's exactly what you kind of expect from a roman general there's a story that like terrifies all his men that one time one soldier was a little bit slow to salute as he passed by and then two years later after the campaign they were fighting in was over he inquired after that soldier found him had him whipped demoted and chained to a different regiment for his disrespect oh my god okay so cool 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 like, cool, cool at one point Theron fights him one-on-one -on -one because like they've been in a stalemate for a long time and he wants to prove to his army that she's just mortal and uh she wants to be like hey yeah if I can defeat him one-on-one -on -one, then more of my people don't have to die but she cuts off his hand <laughs> and <laughs> then all of his soldiers like break the rule of one-on-one -on -one combat and swarm around him and bring him to safety there's so many good scenes like that. It's really good. I love almost all of this book. It really stayed with me for years and years. And like I told you, I reread it last night. I kind of skimmed a lot of it, but it's beautiful. The language is beautiful as well. I... I told you how like when Oskin was pulling down lightning, the sky mm. was rolling like muscled water or something. And, Just um, visceral, visceral descriptions. Yeah. When we, when we meet the vampire king and queen, there's all of these like really nice, gory, ghostly descriptions of like the green light of their lanterns, like, cast a sickly sticky puddle of light out onto the snow and their lips are red and wet like fresh liver it's an extremely good book it really <laughs> really is you said that theron and oskin have a baby in the next book so they do they get together in the in-between times or is there like a 14 15 year old romance at the end did I not tell you that the very end of the book has them holding hands underneath the table? If you did, I missed it. That's adorable. Oh my goodness. I told you, I was like, the last bit of the book before the epilogue is Theron sitting at the war table with her generals saying that the invading army are leaving and we need to calmly discuss what we're going to do for the logistics of the next few months while Oskin sits beside her and holds her hand underneath the table. That, that is so cute. I love us. Okay. I'm on. I thought you didn't react to it enough. I'm on board. I, oh, this boy lit himself on fire for me, became barbecue, and now we're holding hands under the table. And he's taller now. 
he's taller now. I mean, yeah. what's there? Gotta love that. I love a tall boy. <laughs> they clearly are crushing on each other right from the beginning because at the very start, Theron, you know, is blushing constantly anytime she's alone in a room with him and is like, I don't like that he doesn't respect my my royal, like, dignity but also if he treats me like I'm just like a princess and he doesn't like me as a person I also don't like that and I don't like it and uh when he goes to a feast that she invites him to and as she walks into the room in her like nice dress after he's only ever seen her in like battle-stained armor he like gops at her so much that once she sits at the top table she like whispers to a servant and that servant goes down and whispers to Oskin like the princess suggests that you might want to close your mouth before one of the wolf hounds does something unspeakable oh in my it. goodness yes <sighs> that's amazing oh okay I think yeah. you have me convinced Aoife I might probably have to read this book which is good but also oh. I'm like oh there are so many books so yeah, highlight, realistic characters and interactions and cultures. Sidelight, weird cave mud. Also the feminism in the book is kind of nice, where we get a matriarchal society and we get a fairly neutral society, which is like still slightly patriarchal. But you know, like the soldiers have a very high proportion of women in them. That's nice. And then low light. I don't like talking snow leopards. I, we've gone through that. And I will cede your point that the population just doesn't seem believable to be sending that many in an army. <laughs> yeah, they, they live at the hub of the world and they're fighting ice trolls. Like ice trolls, I understand because they're magical, right? So they're subsisting on the magic or whatever. And they're made of ice. I don't know how they work. But I know how snow leopards work. That's the difference. <laughs> But I, I could go on about this book all day and I will not do it because I do not want to spoil it for one thing. I know I, I gave a rough overview, but I recommend this book to anyone who likes fantasy and anyone who doesn't. Um, fantastic. In that case, um, I do believe that um, I'm not entirely sure what I'll be reading mm -hmm. in April, but quite possibly I'll be reading I Am a Gay Wizard by A.S. Antoni, uh, which... I'm very excited about. Um, I'm definitely going to read it, whether or not or they discuss it on the pod. I'm not sure yet. That is a hell of a title. It is a hell of a title, and it is the m main reason why I want to read it. Um, it's about two kids who've just been doing like little magic all about the place, and then they uh, they come to the attention of a boarding school. Ah, oh. hmm, mm -hmm. a eh? and. Uh, it turns Ooh. out things there might not be uh, above board. So, very exciting. Interesting. If you want to talk about I Am A Gay Wizard or a different book or get me to read a different book, you can let us know on the Twitter at uh, Forever YA Pod, um, or you can follow our Instagram at Forever YA Podcast. We also exist on the email which is in the show links because it's got a number in it and I can't, I just can't. You can also throw us a little bit of money, buy me a coffee specifically, not Aoife. Um, I make my own coffee, it's fine. By going to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash forever YA pods and become a supporter. And if you go there, you can, you can demand that we read something and then... We will have to comply. That's just how it works. Okay, cool. With that, we've been Forever Young Adult. Thank you for listening to me, Kira, and listeners about this very, 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 very good book that I love very, 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 very much. And I really do think everyone should read if they can get their hands on it. It's just a nice book. It's just really good and it was being it has been a joy telling you about it. So in conclusion, if you would like to 
yell at me about how good Cry of the Ice Mark is and about how you also read it as a teenager and it was also an amazing experience for you and goad us into reading the second one, you can find us on those social media that Kira mentioned. And until we're back in two weeks' time, take care. Bye! Bye! Outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at Forever YA Pod. And on Instagram at Forever YA Pod. You can also email us at Forever YA Pod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at Forever YA Pod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.